We went to the museum and we're driving home and I ran into the back of someone and crunched the front end. And it was a warm day after we picked it up from the shop from being complete. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And that mission has led me to create the Become a Better Investor community, where you get access to tools you need to create, grow, and protect your wealth. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Lisa Gates. Lisa, are you ready to join the mission? Oh my God, yes. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) (laughs) See, I told you I'm the worst. Oh my God, your radio voice is the best though. (laughs) I've been working on that. Got to bring more out of the stomach, you know, that's the Yes, that's right, your diaphragm. We have a a lady here that's a singing coach, and I she always posts on her Instagram. She lives nearby here in Bangkok, and I just been thinking about, I I really need to go see her and try to figure out how I can continue to improve my radio voice. I think you're doing just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Let Let me introduce you to the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Gates is a leadership coach and career story sleuth who helps women strategically self advocate so they are seen, heard, valued, and paid. By building core narratives for every career context, from interviewing to networking to promotion, Lisa helps women capture the stories that demonstrate impact in action with the goal of breaking through the barriers of invisibility and exclusion. With a career that spans from marketing and public relations to writing and acting, Lisa has become an expert at interviewing, pitching, negotiating, and storytelling. Woo, Lisa, take a minute and fill us in on what is the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world. Wow, thank you. That's a great question to lead off with. Uh, Added value. I would say I would go all the way back in time to being a student in theater. I started out in journalism and then moved to theater. And as a part of that, I became really involved in improv groups. And that's, in fact, where my husband and I met. And we're still married after all this time. But You're still improving I think, it? I think, yeah, we're still very much improving it. But I really think that it's that skill, that openness and the yes and skill that helps me help women in the moment, right? I help them get better on their feet, thinking on their feet, while also sort of backpedaling from that and being very strategic about how they ask for what they want, how they ask for resources, how they talk about themselves and not being afraid to self-advocate. And I also think having kind of a big voice and a big presence myself, Mm. it helps them sort of emulate that. So I think that's in part what it might be that I deliver. Yeah. In some ways, you know, you're causing a big wave and others can ride that wave of confidence and excitement and all that. So I can see, I can see that how that impact really brings a lot of people along. I was also thinking about, you know, when it comes to acting and theater and all that, 
what many people think, like I, I gave a presentation a while ago and, and someone came up to me and they said, that was an amazing presentation. And they asked me, you know, how many hours did you spend preparing that? And they couldn't imagine that I had spent probably 200 hours wow. between my yeah. time and then doing it a few times, rewriting it, the team's time and bringing together the graphics and how we're doing it, talking about it, what's the impact, how we, and, you know, I think that sometimes the improv or the ability to, to respond in a situation comes from practice and thinking about like, what's important here? What am I trying to get at? Yeah, totally. I, you know, that's the thing about improv and any, any discipline creative or otherwise thousands of hours go into practice. So, you know, your, your one hour talk or whatever it was, your two hour workshop is actually years of intellectual property, right? Just years and years of it. So that somebody asked you a question and it might feel like a curveball to the rest of the audience, but it just, you, you dig into your resources and there it is. Maybe we could just understand more for the audience to understand your core service that you're doing how you're doing it, where you're doing it, and where they can learn more about that. Well, my core service is Your Story Happens Here, storyhappenshere.com. And what I do is work with women one-on-one, -on -one, and all the money people in the world will tell you you need to go many, you know, one-to-many, and that happens on LinkedIn learning courses. But primarily what gets me out of bed in the morning is being able to work with women one-on-one, -on -one, helping them sort of really go back and reinvestigate because these are senior women, you know, what their North star is, what are, what, what's to gain more clarity about who they are and where they're going. And then to put that in action by crafting and kind of controlling their narrative, what they say about themselves to others and how they self-advocate. Right. And often how they advocate for others on their team you know, or whatever it is. But so I do kind of a process with them that results in them having a string of narratives or statements, if you will, that they can say in different settings, anywhere from job interviews to negotiations, strategizing an important negotiation, and then also stories that back up their claims. So if I'm saying, hey, here are the top five things that I've done this this year that, and I'm, I want you to know, I'm putting my hat in the ring for a promotion and a raise, but this is what I've delivered that's brought value to you this year. And, you know, the way we construct it is so that the recipient, the listener, you know, is compelled to ask another question. So in order to do that, I myself might need to, you know, ask an open-ended question. What are your thoughts about that? What are the prospects of me getting a raise in promotion this year? So that question, that open-ended question, helps generate more conversation. And just teaching them those sort of conversational skills along with building these very scripted narratives. So it's kind of a combination of thinking on your feet improv, but like we talked about before, much sort of investigation, planning, preparation. And then, you know, the moment. So. so many things that come to my mind when I was listening to you, you know, like one of the things is that 
one of the things I was just talking to my mom, my mom lives with me here in Bangkok, Thailand, since my dad passed away about six years ago. And she's listening in, I'm sure. Mom, hi, mom. Good morning. Hi, mom. Yeah, there you go. And uh, I was just telling her, you know, I just kind of come to the conclusion that's like every, everybody is traumatized in one way or another from some certain thing to some degree. There's something that happened to everybody. And luckily for me, my trauma came, you know, early in my life and my parents basically forced me into treatment and I went into drug rehab. And then I had great counselors that really forced me to look at my story, to look at my narrative, to look at how I felt about myself and, you know, how I thought yes. about myself. And it was brutal. I mean, it was, it was literally almost 12 months, let's say about 10 months of treatment, 2000 hours of time in group therapy and individual therapy and a lot of time, but it, they helped me to reshape my narrative and my story about myself at a young age before exactly. that, before that story had gotten ingrained into my, you know, like it just became a rut, you know, before that. And, well, and then I was know, able to create is... the stories that, you know, I started building the stories over the years as I traveled around the world and, you know, did the things that I want. And I just think that, Sometimes when you're, as we get older, if you haven't done that work, you know, it's, it's so liberating to kind of go back and realize, okay, wait a minute, I've been in this rut and this is the way I think about myself. This is the way I feel about it. It's nothing to do with anybody else. It's all about how I feel about myself. I, I felt inadequate. I felt like a loser. I felt like I was a, a weak person. I couldn't, and I had to try to please everybody. I mean, I had all these things in my head and, you know, I just think that coming up with your story, you know, looking at your past and then coming up with your story is such a powerful thing to overcome those narratives. Wow, that's very powerful. And I'm sad, but I'm also glad that you had that experience because it's now you, you've reframed it from a totally negative experience into something useful that's now helpful to yourself and others, you know. Mm. So I mean, there isn't a person on the planet who comes to, you know, a coaching relationship or a therapy, well, of course, therapy, but a coaching relationship without some block in the middle that's stopping them from getting where they are. And once they're aware of what it is, they can then reframe it. And I always tell people, you have to go through it to get past it. There's no, there's no shortcut for that. So your discomfort, let's say, in presenting your story to a group of people in the workplace, that fear is always going to be with you, but it's, it's the story that needs unwinding so that you can tell a better story. So you can, you know, the real story gets to show up mm -hmm. and, you know, so, so that's definitely a part of it, but, you know, I've also been doing, I don't know if you know what the moth is, but it's personal storytelling told live. And it's, you know, I think it's 20, 25 years old now, but there are shows on NPR and live shows all across the world where people get up and tell true stories live. Mm. And I find that to be incredibly powerful because, but one of the things about it is that it's very difficult to tell an important sort of life altering story with an end to it until you actually are at the end of that story. If you're, if you're still in the middle of it, it's not going to go well. Right? You don't That's know such what a great it's about point. yet. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about for the listeners out there, you know, as you're trying to look at 
what is your story? Sometimes, and that's particularly for younger listeners, they may be thinking, I don't know what my story is, you know? Well, one of the ways that you can do that is ask people around you and ask them, what, what do you, and I remember asking my mother many years ago, I asked to my mom and dad, cause I was reading a book and it said, ask people around you, you know? So I asked, you know, what is it that you like about me or what do you think is a good quality? And my mother, I can't remember what's my mother or my father, but they said, you know, that you're polite to everyone. And I thought, okay, you know, there's positives and negatives, you know, part of that's my people pleasing. But on the other hand, I thought, you know, that is a valuable characteristic that, you know. Empathy, empathy, compassion. That's really what they were, they were seeing and hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's great. I, I asked people in the beginning of trying to drive things down into who are you and what do you bring to the party? I asked people, what do you known for? What do you want to be known for? What are the things that you love doing, you know, that bring value? And then what are the things that you're good at that you no longer want to do? Like, you're just damn tired of that. You're not going to do it anymore. So it's just kind of a way of sort of opening everything up until we can get at, when they're writing this down, you can see all kinds of repeating themes and language and, you know, sort of phrases and tidbits to pull forward from all of that writing that they don't necessarily see. So that becomes sort of me reflecting back what they've already expressed mm. and using using all that sort of info and data to construct a, something that's compelling and true. You know, starting with a really good headline, you know, I have um, one of the things I also do is I coach cohorts of women in a program called Beyond Barriers. And these are groups of women from single organizations like, you know, Salesforce or whoever, IBM. And part of that work is coming up with kind of a moniker or a tagline that you say about yourself. Like mine is helping women be seen, heard, promoted, and paid. Uh, Another woman, one of the founders of that program is the MacGyver of the marginalized, right? It's just like this really quick, almost markety way, you know, depending on how it's delivered, of saying what you do and who you are, what's important to you. There's a lot of value words you can hear in a statement like that. Mm. She's a diversity, equity, inclusion expert. So, you know, that's one of the benefits of doing this mining and self-exploration is to come up with some really practical language and useful, immediately useful language for expressing yourself and in any context. Well, an interesting word, mining, you know, thinking about digging, you know, the challenge, you know, digging and mining is, you know, it takes effort. You got to go through that effort. I think that's part of the, the what, what you're talking about. I have one last thing I would share about this that was, it's kind of interesting. What I do is I ask my students kind of all along, I ask them questions in my online courses. And those questions turn into kind of testimonials over time as they talk about, ask them, what was your transformation in this course? What was the main thing that you learned? And how would you describe the course to someone else and all that? I have more than 700 testimonials in one of my courses. And in my evaluation masterclass bootcamp, I've got probably, you know, 300, 400 testimonials. So I have a, I had an intern work with me recently and we took all those and we dumped them into a a document and then we started to group them. I just said, look, I'm not going to give you any feedback on anything. All I want you to do is go through these and group them. 
And he started coming up with these groups and he ended up with five groups of kind of what they were talking about. And then those five groups became my five bullet points to my core. Oh, exactly. Exactly. It's the only voice of the customer. And then, and then when I tell that bullet point, then, you know, I have some, also have some, some support from a prior student, but that's been really helpful. And I really recommend for anybody that has online courses is constantly ask your audience, you know, your students, you know, what they, what they're getting. And what I've learned yeah. is that I deliver a transformation through my valuation masterclass bootcamp. Every single student describes a transformation that they went through. And that is so building, you know, strength in the area of valuing companies and transforming lives is really what we're doing there. But I just remember one last thing that I would say about for those people that may feel a bit overwhelmed. Okay. Yeah, it's digging. We got to go back and all that, but let's keep it simple too. Like think about the positive things that people said to you. Like I said, my mom or dad said that I was polite to everyone or another one. This is one I just thinking and talking to you. I remember we were getting feedback when I was a financial analyst at an investment bank and I was writing research all the time and I was a head of research and I'd been doing it for many years. But I remember at one point there was a feedback from a client and they said, I like how Andrew provides evidence for each point that he makes. And I just thought, okay, that's it. That it describes me. I wasn't describing it and I never really recognized it, but this person defined it. So by asking or listening to what people are saying about you, you can craft it. And so I built that into, you know, I'm an evidence-based analyst. Wow. That's great. That's great. That's such a good example. You know, you're being reflected and the work they're doing is showing up in what they say about themselves and you, right? So that's perfect. That's really social marketing, social, social selling, I guess you could call it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I just love the idea of helping people transform. And I know that's exactly what you're delivering. And when you work one-on-one, one of the beauties of working one-on-one is that you really, it's like you can take already a beautiful moth or a caterpillar or whatever. What is it? A caterpillar? What is it that turns into a butterfly? It turns into the butterfly. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's something yeah. that you don't see when you got a mass of students in a class and stuff like that. So I know that feeling. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, we'll have links in the in the show notes to all of your stuff and, and your website, as well as obviously for people that are on LinkedIn, make sure you go and follow Lisa there because she's doing a lot on LinkedIn. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and tell us your story. I think this should be called the podcast of pain. No, the painful podcast. Let's see. They'll think it's about, you know, physical stuff. Well, it does. Yeah. Okay. Well, so my story is during our salad days and Somebody owed my husband some money, and I think it was something like $800. It wasn't a lot of money. It was then. It was a tragic amount of money. Mm. But So what my husband came home and said, well, I, I got paid, I, you know, and I went, oh, great. And he goes, well, not in cash. He gave me a 65 Mustang. And we went, I was like, wait a minute, we need $800. What are you doing? So. This 65 Mustang was really, I mean, you know, a collector's dream. 
but needed an engine. It had Bondo all over it. It was smooth. It was straight, but it had to be painted. It needed a fender. It needed a headliner and carpeting and new upholstery. And, and I was like, where in the hell? You know, he said, look, we can sell this for, you know, probably $20,000. And I went, only after we put $20,000 into it, right? I, I was livid. I was just livid. I just thought, this is a piece of garbage that's going to sit, I'm so sorry to car collectors, that's going to sit in our driveway for a while. So we, Charlie's father, my husband's father dies, and we got a small inheritance, very small. Like, there were a lot of kids. So there was just not very much. I think it was something like $15,000, maybe seventeen. And of course, what do we start doing with that money? We start first, I have to say, researching who are the car guys? What do they know? Where do you get stuff? Who should do the work? Can I do some of it by myself? How can I save money? All of that. So the $800 we never see and then this $14,000 basically goes into the car and it's beautiful by the end. And one day we're living in Los Angeles and we decide to go to, it was downtown, the museum that's downtown, I always forget if it's MoMA or, anyway, we went to the museum and we're driving home and I ran into the back of someone and crunched the front end. And it was one day after we picked it up from the shop from being complete, right? Being all ready to go. And so we had to, you know, do some more repair and spend more money. And I think when we finally sold that car, we sold it for 7000 I want to say. You know, so we almost, you know, we didn't make our money back. But you know how that is, that lost money over time? What do you call that? Like how you sort of do this accounting in your head. Yeah, the compounding like, that could have compounded at X percent and we'd be millionaires today. Yes, just like, you know, and that was just like this horror story. Although I will say it was really fun to drive. It was, and we named her Sally, of course. So. <laughs> <laughs> and can you remember the day that you got rid of it? Yes. We were living in Seattle then and it was snowing. And somebody came and they, instead of driving it home, they pitched it up to the truck and towed it, towed it. And I can't remember much about the person. I think I was just so glad to get rid of it. It was like, good riddance. And they paid you cash. Oh, yes, they paid us cash. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you describe the lessons that you learned from this? Oh, my God. It wasn't an investment at all. It was, uh, I mean, like, if um, how it was characterized to me was this will be an investment because we make a small contribution to it and it will reap X rewards. And, you know, after a while, that started to make sense to me. But I think what I learned from this, if it isn't something that you naturally value or have an interest in, like if I were to collect musical instruments because it was a passion and I knew I was really good at analyzing the beauty and, you know, the patina and the age and all of that, that would be one thing, but I had no interest in cars, nor did my husband really. He didn't care. So I think it has to fit what your priorities are and what you're up to in your life, 
what you spend money on or what you invest your time, resources, attention, money, all of it. And, you know, so this did not represent that at all. Mm. I'm sure there might be. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe I'll there. share a couple of things I take away. I mean, one of the things is there's the concept of zero-based thinking. And we do it sometimes in, let's say, accounting and finance or something where you say, you know, how much marketing budget do you want this year? Well, last year we did had $10 million. So this year I want $11 million. Well, What's that based on? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why not ask for $50 million? If we could generate $5 billion in revenue, you know, like, or why not ask for 1 million, you know, like, so zero-based thinking is trying to separate yourself from the, the situation. And I like to say, you know, when you're in a situation like this, first thing you want to ask the question is that if I wasn't in this situation, would I enter this situation? That's it. That's really it. No, I wouldn't. Right? <laughs> Or, or if somebody, even let's say nobody owed you money and somebody came up to me and said, hey, you know, you should really get into the car, yeah. the classic car restoration game. I would have run with my tail between my legs. Yeah. I was like, no, no interest, no, like, no interest. Yeah. None. So that's real the, estate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the first thing is, and I. Lisa, I've been single all my life, so I, I try to avoid giving any relationship advice. My father would be turning in his grave if he heard me give it. But I always say, I only have one piece of relationship advice that I give, and it's just one question. And I always ask people the same one. And I say, you have to just give me a yes or no answer. And I won't ask, you know, there's no more discussion. And, and I ask them, the question is, if you weren't knowing what you know about this person right now, you didn't know that at the beginning of the relationship, but you know it now. If this person, if you weren't in this relationship and this person walked up to you and wanted to start this relationship, would you start it? Yeah. And if the answer is no, then you've got some decisions to make. And if the answer is yes, you need to double down and bring more value to that relationship, you know, and, and make I, that I, commitment. Don't they call that sunk cost? Like, sunk cost fallacy. Like, yeah, sunk co well, but also sunk cost reality is you know, regardless of that, I've come to love this person. <laughs> but no, you're right. At the time, had that been sort of what was expressed to me, I would have thought, I'm not sure about this guy. Mm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And the, the other thing I take away is, you know, what really happened was this person took their burden and transferred it onto you. Exactly. Exactly. And so for the listeners even, out there, you know, and for the viewers, you've got to think people are always trying to get their burden off of themselves. It's a natural yeah. reality. I'm trying to get my burdens off of myself, but sorry, I don't accept other people's burdens. Cash yeah. only, please. Yeah. This has an even worse ending to the story. I wasn't going to tell it, but I am. You could cut right there. Is that a friend of our family a uh, friend of my son's, actually, his parents are very wealthy and were downsizing their, in their 70s. And we right now have a Dodge Dart, a 68 Dodge Dart sitting out in front of our house that we are going to do nothing with except sell it. But we took their burden because they were downsizing and didn't know where to go. And my husband, being the nice guy that he is, accepted that burden. 
Mm -hmm. So we're constantly jockeying that car around in the driveway, you know? It's a, so we it's, haven't learned anything is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, it sounds like this is a, a burden of space rather than a burden of, you know, additional investment. Yeah. It, it reminds me, you know, my best friend, it's a guy named Dale and he's in Thailand and he basically runs a coffee factory that we have, but we've known each other since we were 14 years old back in outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And I remember when I was a young guy and I was sober at the time, you know, I, I was already kind of on my pathway of, you know, having a great life and all that. And I was always the polite, nice guy. And then one time someone said something pretty strong to Dale and Dale said to them, he said, if you have a problem with that, that's your problem. I was like, you can say that to someone? And it just yeah. flipped my mind. And so I just want to challenge everybody when somebody's having a problem with, you know, something or when they're dealing with their burden and all that, that does not have to be yours and you do not have to accept it. You don't have to take it on. I have a, I have a saying that correlates with that. I say, it's never about the other person ever, even when it is. <laughs> right? Totally. And if you go through treatment like I did in a lot of therapy, that's exactly what they're going to say. Yep. Yep. I understand. Yep. That person did you wrong, you know, and all that, but that person's gone, but you're still sitting here. Yeah. And I also like this thing they said many years ago to me, which was resentment rots the container it's in. So refeeling oh. things, refeeling things that other people did and all that, you know, I think a big lesson out of this story really is how do you make sure that other people don't bring their burden into your life? Come on. We got enough burden in my own life. I don't need your burden. I can help. I can advise, but I'm not going to allow your burden to come into my life. That is so beautiful. I just wrote it down. Resentment rots the container it's in. Who said that? <laughs> that was, was one of my counselor of in, you know, in my rehab hospital. Ooh, that's powerful. Yep. Yep. So let's, let's now think about a young man or woman out there who's listening in viewing and they're basically facing the same situation, an uncle, a cousin, a brother, a sister. Now there's another component to this that we didn't really hit. And that was that you were a secondary person in this. You weren't the primary person. It was a decision True. that your husband made. And then you had, you know, so there's, it's even a little bit more complicated because think about that man or woman out there who said, oh, but my brother's about to do this or my dad just did that or whatever. So I'm connected with this, or it could be that that person's, you know, in a similar situation based upon what you learn from this story and what you continue to learn in your life. What one action would you recommend that they take to avoid suffering the same fate? I think it would be to grow your emotional intelligence by learning to ask questions before responding or accepting or saying yes. So like the question might've been, whose problem does this solve? Like the burden question, what mm -hmm. I'm getting is, so by us accepting this car, whose problem does it solve? And I don't know what Charlie would say about that, you know, what mm -hmm. his response might've been back then, but I certainly can ask him today. I think, I think it is to learn when you, there's sort of a conflict of choices to learn, to ask open-ended questions, to get inside it a little more, to get more information before you do any kind of knee-jerk yesing. Mm. Great know? advice. Whose problem does it solve? 
And, yeah. you know, if it's not solving my problem, well, okay, I got to look at it a little bit differently. And I'm open to helping you solve your problem, but I'm not going to allow you to transfer your problem into my life, you know, unless obviously, yeah. you know, when in a family and in a situation, you know, when my mother had a stroke and my dad passed away, you know, her <laughs> problem, I needed to think about how can I support her in facing you know, her problem of being 78, having had a stroke, trying to recover, but having a hard time losing her husband. And now where is she at? And how do I help? Yeah, I'm willing to bring that problem into my life. And I consciously brought that into my life. That's so yeah. very different. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully, you had the capacity and the resources and the will to do that. But it is will, it is a choice. You'd be amazed, yeah. Lisa, because after we hang up, I'm going to go out there and see my mom walk nine minutes on the treadmill. It's incredible. She's 83 oh, years old and she's just gosh. 84 now. And just like, it's part of a huge process of recovery from stroke. So for those people that have a family member or a friend who, you know, has had the problem of stroke, you know, never give up. You can always, you know, the challenge is how to stay positive, you know, throughout the whole thing. So now well, I want to ask you, what's a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? Well, let's see. I think of everything that I've, that I've talked about, you know, conflict resolution, negotiation, coaching in the workplace by via open-ended questions. All of those are courses that I teach on LinkedIn learning. So mm. if you're interested in more, just go to LinkedIn learning and pop in my name and you'll find the courses that I teach. But also anything else you want to learn relative to any challenge in your life is just get some learning under your belt, whether it's reading, taking yep. courses, in person, doesn't matter. Learn something. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'll have links to that. And I know there's a lot Thank of you. value in what you're teaching on LinkedIn Live for sure, or LinkedIn Learning. So last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Well, I'm redoing another uh, one of the courses that I teach and writing a new one. That will capture quite a good part of time. It's like writing a book, for God's sakes, about half the year. And the other half of the year is just becoming a really good chef, baker. I bake bread. I bake all kinds of wonderful things. But I should say, no, my real goal is I've lost 35 pounds and I have 20 more to go. So 25, maybe. So that's actually going to be a tandem goal throughout the year. That's amazing. Well, congratulations yeah. on that. And that's Thank an inspiration. You. And particularly when you talk about bread, I think bread I and losing weight, how is... They don't go together, but they do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. We get some contradictions in today's that's discussion. Right. Yep. Well, listeners... <laughs> There you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet joined the Become a Better Investor community, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. As we conclude, Lisa, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Oh, no, I just have a big thank you. You have a great heart and a great expertise. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And I know the audience appreciates your sharing. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today. We added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This 
is your worst. Podcast host Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.